Hey, where's Audrey? Oh, had to send her home. We had a run of old biddies come in wanting to talk to her about Stephen and the murders. Oh, no, that's all she needs. Yeah, I know. Hey, I'll tell you what, though. Never been busier. Completely rushed off his feet, honestly. Everybody wants the goss. David. No, we have. I told one old dear that he used to come in here cutting out. <laughs> <laughs> right? Stephen Sweeney Todd Reed. <laughs> Demon Barbara of Coronation Street. <laughs> The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 276 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that had flashbacks this week, flash-forwards last week, so we'll probably have polar bears and smoke monsters next week, checks, notes, lost, finished, checks, notes again, 13 years ago. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and God, I hope not, from what I now know about what it was like on the set of Lost for the lovely for actors. everyone concerned, apart from the Af- women. Uh, and and the black people oh. and the Asian people, right? And and pretty much everyone else who wasn't the showrunners. Apart from that, though, a good time was had by all in sunny, sunny Hawaii. <laughs> but Wendy, though, yeah. For anyone curious, I recommend the book "Burn It Down," which documents it, and as well as other horrific things done on sets of television shows and movies it's always good to document horrific things 40 years that's why i make notes about coronation street done by white men how dare you and straight too what's this world coming to i'm just ticking all those boxes (laughs) i'll tell you i'll be in the minority soon they took her gerbs indeed (laughs) of course people have accused you of that yeah, which I kind of did. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Living life. Mm-hmm. I have to work tomorrow. <laughs> You're never going to say the words ever again, are you? Probably not. Uh, yeah. J- just for new listeners to have no fucking, <laughs> fucking idea clue what, what you're talking about. What this is all about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we have pickup for for the children's room auction, which did not do as well as I expected it to. But it seems like lots of people currently, for some reason, don't have an awful lot of expendable income. Funny that. Funny that. So, you know, it is put a damper on lots of things at work, not just my auction. Maybe if you forecasted more accurately, then you'd be pleasantly surprised well the gun auction also didn't do as well as it should have and that cost a lot more money to put on than my auction and we had a real estate auction where the house didn't meet the reserve so that really sucked as well i guess oh you're not losing money well i'm still getting paid so that's good (laughs) and the, the the book auction should do really well because I've got so, so many awesome things. I'm so happy to go to work. How have you been besides sick this week? 
that's that's about it. Yeah. It was nice. It was nice staying home for two days. I read 200 pages of the book I'm reading right now, and that was great. Well, as long as you achieve something. Because, right? you know, because it's, uh, it's one of Connie Willis's books that I haven't read yet. She's one of my favorite science fiction authors. So that's awesome. Oh, I watched a great movie. You did? Totally Killer. Yes. Totally Killer. I think on Amazon Prime. Uh-huh. Oh, such a good movie. If Happy Death Day was Halloween meets Groundhog Day, uh-huh. this is Halloween meets Back to the Future. And it's very good. It's ah. very funny. What would you call what would you call freaky? Halloween meets what? Freaky Friday. Yeah. Well, yes. yes. Well, <laughs> shall we preamble my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> Corey News. Well, still no sign of Aggie, but we now know what Eileen has been up to, and it's none your business. No. Sue Cleaver has taken a break to take on the role of Mother Superior in the musical restaging of Sister Act, which must have made Paul and Billy come in their pants a little. Ah, I see what you did there. (laughs) Corey fans continue their rage assault as that bloody rugby continues to fuck up people's Friday nights. Jesus Christ, it's on again. And on again next week. Yeah. Not for me, though, since I always binge all three on a Friday. Win-win. It's like people are like, this has ruined my Friday night. And it's like it, the ITV app is free for people who have ITV, right? Yes. So if you have the ITV app, you can wait and watch the Monday episode on Monday. You can watch the Tuesday episode on Wednesday and watch the Wednesday episode <sighs> on Friday. No, they'd rather bitch on the Internet. What the hell, man? So entitled. Nobody's going to do that. And people like watching it live so they can join in complaining about it (laughs) to their friends on Twitter. I know that's what I do. Yes, yes. But no, seriously, how long is the Rugby World Cup? It's, it's. I think this World Cup started in 2022. (laughs) It's worse than the World Series. And I love the World Series. Well, the World Series lasts for like a couple of weeks, doesn't it? Yeah. The World Cup football uh-huh. brackets, soccer, close brackets, I think lasts for a month. Right. This feels like it's been going on for maybe two months. That's because nobody gives a fuck about rugby. Nobody cares about rugby. It's rugby. It's for people who can't play football. Right. Either American or the rest of the world's football. Right. Because it's a combination of both. Only less padding. And finally, it's been revealed that Stephen was meant to tell his mom that he loves her before dying. But the line was cut. Thankfully, because that would have knocked my score for the week down to a three. Because what the fuck is up with that? With it? I love you, mom. He doesn't love anybody but himself. I think we've all firmly, firmly established that. Mm, I would have definitely had a tone adjustment, wouldn't it? Right. And supposedly that was the thing that was supposed to kick Audrey off onto this whole, you know, he did nothing wrong except kill three people. But I'm sure he had good reasons. But we already know Audrey is like that. And she always believed that the sun shone out of Stephen's ass. Yeah. So we don't, we didn't really need it. And I'm glad they cut it. Well done, Coronation Street, for doing the right thing. Oh, and Ian McLeod supposedly was considering keeping 
Stephen around and stringing this fucking stupid story along for six more months. I'd Can you been, imagine? I'd have been quite happy with that. I, I would have been like the people who are raging about the rugby on, on the Twitter, even though I'm no longer on the Twitter because it's got the stupid name X now, which is so stupid and I hate it. That sends me into a rage, just seeing that stupid X. You really have I'm the so attention span of a gnat, don't you? You're like <laughs> talking about one day and all of a sudden you're talking about Twitter again. I oh, hate well. it. I hate it so much. This is going to be a trying week. I can <laughs> I can feel it in my bones. <laughs> and that's Corey News. And that, would you believe, segues nicely into our feedback section called Everyone's a Critic. Oh, really? I suddenly want to watch YouTube videos. Let's kick off with Wendy. Yay! She said, I need to say how it was totally weird that Jenny hadn't figured out that Stephen killed Leo and his dad. She had to be told? Also, Adam looked great with his preacher hairdo. I agree with her on both counts. Yes. It keeps the curls in, in check. Yes. For Adam. Yes. <laughs> Chiki wrote in to say, No one in Stephen's life can be dumb enough not to notice his manipulative behaviour, and furthermore, it irritates me. Audrey is willing to excuse his killings and death due to her own grief and disappointment. This is worse than her previous alcohol problem. Well, mother's going to mother, right? Well... Let's remember how incredibly cruel she has been in the past to Gail, the one child she has that is constantly by her side and helping her out. I wouldn't say mother's got a mother because she's a shitty mother to Gail. Audrey's got the Audrey then? Yes. There we go. Trish in Connecticut wrote in to say, I'm listening to this week's pod, getting ready for work. And here your recap of Sally spitting bars to Tim's mum. Quoting Dr. Dre with motherfuckers act like they forgot about Tim. And just have to say that, and Helen choosing to let it go without comment, just gave me a very rare Monday morning rolling on the floor laughing. I would love to see a guest spot where Sally has a standing tea date with Snoop D-O-double-G in the conservatory, just like it's a regular thing. Anyway, I'll tuck away this bit of brain imagery to revisit and save her as needed as I drudge through the work week. Well, Sally does have... A Martha Stewart haircut. And Martha Stewart and Snoop are like besties. So I'm sure Snoop would really enjoy hanging out with Sally. Yeah, not only did you not comment on it. Yeah. I don't even think you noticed that I did it. No, I noticed it. Oh, yeah, you would say that. No, I did. But it's not the first time <laughs> you've, you've used that song. Just in our general life. To make a pun about other people that motherfuckers shouldn't forget about. Peter then wrote in to say, free Peter Barlow campaign. If it's good enough for Deirdre, it's good enough for him. And then he said something uncharitable about Todd Boyce that we'll just skip over. Well, I'm sure it's something I've probably said in the past about Todd Boyce. Mm, I don't think so. Well, not about Todd Boyce, about Stephen. Then... Daisy wrote in, if Helen had the same crush from Nightmare Before Christmas as I did, then I also need to share that when I was 15, I had a custom-made suit made for Halloween and I dyed my hair ginger. Best year of my life. <laughs> Wait, who do I have a crush on from Nightmare Before Christmas? Jack Skellington. Oh, no, no. I had a crush on a guy whose name was Jack Skellington. So not the Jack Skellington from the movie, like an actual human being with that name. I knew an actual human being before that movie was made when I worked in an inn in upstate New York for the summer. One of the program directors was named Jack Skellington. Did you and see I had his a driver's license? Yes. 
and also his name tag that he had to wear as one of the managers of this inn in upstate New York. So a little bit of confusion. That's fine. Then Scripticine on Twitter, formerly known as Twitter, wrote in to say, loved Helen's deserved rant about the talk of the street being referred as somebody. If something goes viral, it's always good manners to give credit to the person who created it, even if it's just a like on their tweet. Quite that, agree. Yes, and absolutely. And uh, apologies to Scripticine for me not including her in my list of people that I missed from Twitter when I mentioned Mersey Tart and Den. Feedback is always welcome. Send us your thoughts, and I will probably read them out. Get us at thetalkerstreet at gmail.com. Our DMs are always open at Corey Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee. We are buying our own copies this week. What? The Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffees by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link, where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, oi, you, remember... You can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And giving us credit for memes. And now this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Prick Test. Did this have something to do with Steven? Come on. <laughs> this was Billy getting excited about an easy way to monitor Summer's diabetes. With the prick test. I was Gavin and you were a speed demon. Was I? Mm-hmm. Where have I ever been a speed demon? Yeah, because you get pulled over by the cops for speeding is so infrequent. Yes, but I'm not fast in my regular life. No, but you were talking about getting pulled over by the cops this time last year. Oh, okay. In a spot that I would get done for speeding about six months later. Well, then it's even. (laughs) And that's all we talked about for six minutes. (laughs) A furiously Anne visits Harvey in prison to tell him to back off, but discovers the reason for the visit order and an explanation for where all her stamps have disappeared to. Because Sam's been writing to Harvey, remember? Right, yes. Bridget and Lucy confess to their involvement in Charlie's death, which leaves homeless Stu in charge of Eliza. Fern advises Bern against attending an interview for a cleaning contractor, but it soon seems she's looking to take advantage of her doppelganger. Sally remains upset with Tim over his friendship with Aggie. Stephen is put under pressure when Gabrielle loses patience over delays in getting her money back. Daniel lets go of some of his past by donating Sinead's clothes to charity. Summer's organisation of her clothes swap backfires when her denim jacket and the secret contents of its pockets are sold by accident. The quads definitely exist. <laughs> Nick just looks like he's topless. Esther and Mike have boundary issues. Our moment of the week was Audrey and Sam's heart to heart. And the boring moment of the week was people explaining refugees to Kirk. And that was Coronation <laughs> Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Seriously, the Pied Piper must have gone through Coronation Street because there are no children left. Except for the teenagers. 
Just teenagers. Just teenagers. And quads. Occasional quads. Well, very rarely quads. And never all four quads at once. The wedding, we must have seen them for the wedding. They were not at the wedding. The quads definitely were at the wedding. I don't think so. Their mother's wedding? Oh, yeah, I thought you were talking about Paul and Billy's wedding. Never mind. We'll take a quick break and you can have a wee sleep. <laughs> and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Now, I had to read out so much correspondence from our Everyone's a Critic section. Right. That sadly there's no longer any time for any jokes. We've already told jokes though. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline tonight is the aftermath of last week. Is it that like pretty much the whole week? No, I'm just going to do this on Monday and then it splits into two. So, okay. So Monday's starts off with Sarah standing outside the rovers eyeing the spot where Stephen got splattered by Peter. Michael checks that she's okay and asks if she wants a coffee, but Sarah needs to go check on her gran. And also, she seems upset that there are no flowers for a serial killer. What's the standard procedure for memorialising a serial killer? Not doing it. Meanwhile, Sally has been up all night sniffing Tim's clothes. So, so she's gotten advice from Daniel then. Yes. Tim's mum tells her to get some rest, but how can Sally rest when Tim might be dead somewhere? It's been two whole nights. Right. Two whole, let's let's all remember this for later. Tim has been in a trunk of a car with no water and minimum oxygen. I don't think it's... I, with cramped legs. It's not airtight. No, but it's you're not getting as much oxygen as you would be if you were outside the boot, would you? <sighs> and his legs have been up near his elbows... And he's been unconscious for most of that time. Let's all remember these 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 facts for later. Tim, though, is still alive and kicking and finally breaks free from Stephen's excellent binding job. Oh, it's later now. He bangs on the boot for help, but there's no one around because that guy with his dog, long gone. Right, yes, and it's the forest. And then the roles Sarah and Audrey are not eating breakfast. Audrey thinks Sarah should be at home after her accident, but Sarah's careful to point out that it wasn't an accident. No. <laughs> Because our uncle twatted her over the head. Right, with a lead pipe. Audrey pretends that she doesn't hear it, but when Peter comes in, Audrey suddenly finds her voice. She remembers Peter threatened Stephen and reckons Peter killed Stephen on purpose. Carla tries to back Peter up, but to no avail. Audrey cannot be reasoned with. So Peter goes round to visit Jenny on the pretense of seeing how she's doing, but really what he wants to do is quiz her about what she thinks happened in the lead up to him ploughing into Stephen at high speed. Right. Jenny can't remember the details, but Rita is sure that Peter is a hero and thanks him for saving Jenny's life. Right. At home, Peter tells Carla that he's going to go back to work. Carla thinks it's too soon and thinks that he's worried about Audrey's views. Peter thinks that he sees a look in Carla that she doesn't think that he killed Stephen in good faith. <laughs> and so he storms off in a bit of a huff. And she's like, look, I've got a lot in my mind at the moment. Right, yeah. I've got a factory to save mm -hmm. and a Michael to can. Right. And who isn't looking forward to that? No. Gail goes round to see Sally, but Sally is in no mood to chat to her after what her brother did. Sally accuses Gail of knowing what was going on under her nose with a killer under her roof again. Wasn't Gail under wasn't under Gail's roof though. He didn't live there. He lived with Audrey. He did spend some time. And there, then though. he lived with Tim's mum. And then he lived with Audrey. And then he lived with Jenny. He never lived in the Platt house. Gail admits to feeling stupid and betrayed by Stephen's actions, but here she is, 
Her main concern is Tim and Sally. It's a bit passive-aggressive, but it does cool Sally's jet somewhat. Yeah, it was nice, because let's remember, they're like, they're walking besties. They, they walk together in their little sneakers, doing their little fist pump things with their tiny weights. Only I don't think they have tiny weights. No, and I think that was Audrey, wasn't it? Audrey, Audrey doesn't walk. Oh, she power walks with Gail. No. That's famously Sally that. power walks with Gail. See, when I think of that, I think of Audrey and Gail power walking because of the meme and everything. Audrey's 80. She doesn't power anything. She did. Well, not anymore. Back in the boot, though, Tim has finally figured out how to spring it open. There's a back seat. You push down the back seat. You can't. It's locked. There's a fluorescent tag that you pull. Right. And that's and that's what he does. But, you know, his taxi, I, I think, is I don't think he older. does do that. I don't think he yeah, does do he's, that. He's reaching, I think he somehow manages to, to prang it open. He's reaching behind him for the cord. You see the cord. I don't think you do. Remember, remember when the cord in your car kept like popping off for some reason, and your trunk kept like opening by itself, and you were so confused. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Always good to remember and also, things of no consequence. And also all the times that you've accidentally locked my car by sitting on your keys. No, sometimes I do that on purpose. Just <gasps> you well, you can't do it anymore because your buttons are popped off. I can still reach in with my finger. <laughs> but not, but like, not that. like that. Well, sometimes like that. Back in the boot. Tim has finally yes, he sprung that open. He flops out onto a carpet of autumnal leaves. Right, yes, yes. And let's all remember, his legs have been cramped behind him in a trunk for two days and, and that's why he hurts himself when he does that yes he clambers to his feet gets into the cab no keys of course but there's a little water and a radio and outside it's the Blair Witch Project <laughs> and he can walk Sally and is not dead he should be dead I, d- I don't think he should be dead he should be dead I don't think he should be dead I think he could be dead yeah I don't think he should be dead uh, well by medical science standards of the real world, he should be dead. No, I think he could be dead. I think it's possible for a human being to survive for two days in the trunk of a car. Without water. Yeah, and you, can, while, you, you can survive for and more than two days And while bleeding water. profusely from the head. Let's all remember how much head wounds bleed. Yeah, but it stopped bleeding though. It wasn't like continually bleeding. He should have been continually bleeding a little bit more. Oh, you're Mrs. Shooter this week, aren't you? Yeah, I want Tim dead. <laughs> Sally, Gail and Tim's mum decide it's best to do something useful and agree to go to look for Tim together, which is what they were doing last week, but never mind. Tim's mum wishes that she'd listened to Tim's warning about Stephen in the first place. Gail doesn't think Tim's mum should blame herself, but Tim's mum thinks that she was the one who let Stephen in. Tim gets on the spare radio and is picked up by Peter. Tim tries to warn Peter about Stephen, but that was two days ago. It's fine, says Peter. Right, yeah. Tim complains of dizziness, but doesn't know where he is, and he can't seem to keep his eyes open. Gail, Sally and Tim's mum are about to head out when Peter comes to the door. Tim's on the cab radio. Sally and Tim get to talk to each other and declare their love, but he's slipping in and out of consciousness. And this is when he should have died. And Sally and me at this point think they might actually kill off Tim the day after Super Soap Week. Which is Which what they, they should have couldn't done. Couldn't have done that. That's what, what we should a have done. Damp squib that would have been. That would have been great. It would have been awful. It would have been great because it would have nobody been awful. because nobody would have expected it. And no, we because would, it would have been awful. 
Nobody would have expected it. And it would have been great because he would have been able to tell Sally one last time that he loved her and that he dies. That would have been awesome. Dying on a Monday is bad enough. Dying on the Monday after Super Soap Week is just bad planning. <laughs> if he was going should... to die, he's, he's got to die on a Wednesday, but preferably a Friday. Well, this, is, this, this would have been the cliffhanger, right? Is he dead or alive? And then on Monday, we find out he's alive, but then he's dead. But we thought, we get the best is of he both dead worlds. or alive since last Monday? We get the best of both worlds. He gets to be, he is Schrodinger's cat. If, well, Schrodinger's if any, Tim, if you're going to say it right, say it right yes. Schrodinger's Tim. If there was any justice in the world, we would have gotten Schrodinger's Tim, where he's in the box, a.k.a. the boot, and he's both alive and dead. John Doe has the upper hand. That's right. Tim's in the box! Tim's in the box! I mean, I, I, I won't lie, I did think there was a chance that they were going to kill him off, but I would have hated it. You hated the fact that he didn't die. That we didn't have a major character yeah, die. if you're going to kill him off, kill him off in Super Salt Week. Don't kill him the day after it. It's just such an anticlimax. It would have been cool. Nobody would have expected it. No, nah, that would have been terrible. Ugh. Anyway, the connection is lost, and they at least know that he's now in the woods and within radio range. Right. Peter agrees to take them all to the police station. However, there seems to be so many woods around Manchester... Yes. But they don't know which woods he might be in. Could be anywhere in leafy Cheshire. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tim decides that it's pointless hanging around, so he locks up his cab and goes a wandering. Yeah, he's able to walk after being in a trunk for two days. Let it go. Swain. <laughs> so at the cop shop. Sally says to Swain that she's used to public speaking and can make a TV appeal if she wants. Swain thinks it's a bit too soon for that, and they don't want word out just yet, which could disturb evidence and get, I don't know, the mob running out looking for Tim. Right, lots of people out in the woods stepping on evidence. She advises that they go home and wait for Tim to call. Sally point blank refuses to leave. Meanwhile, Tim has climbed up a random embankment and ends up <laughs> out of breath. He looks at his ring... But not like that. He's been looking at his ring quite a bit in the in the boot. And gets a second wind and keeps on walking. Finally does make it to the road and is able to flag down a passing car. There and we is no never way, see the driver. No way in the world any car is stopping for that man looking like that right, yeah. at the side of the road. No, I no wouldn't chance. stop. I wouldn't stop. But not only did this guy stop, he drove by... And then stopped. And then stopped. It's like, at first he wasn't going to stop, and then he feels guilty, so he stops. Mm -hmm. We never see him, though, cause, so he could have been a her. I doubt it. <laughs> no chance. You know, stop to let a, a bloodied man into your, into your car. I would never do it. You could take that risk. I don't know if you're going to take that risk. I would never do you it. You would maybe call the police about it. I would never do it. However... There's there's lots of evidence. Oh, that this could be a story about your mum. No. Oh, okay. Just there's lots of evidence that people do do that, and then are murdered. Right. Peter brings them all coffees at the police station, and the chat quickly turns to Stephen getting flattened by Peter in the speeding cab. Gail, who I thought was on Peter's side, says that Peter had threatened Stephen's life, and Stephen had dropped the wine bottle before Peter hit him. Sally's frustrated because Stephen was about to reveal Tim's location. Was he? 
before Peter broke every bone in Stephen's body. He was point blank refusing (laughs) to tell where Tim's location is. He was mocking Sally with that information while holding a broken bottle to Jenny's neck. Peter goes off for a Neckles cake and then realises that he's not in Nina's roles after all. He's in a police station. So he quickly denies all of this and walks out. But the conversation has been overheard by Swain on the stairs. Yes. So Swain drags Sally into an interview room and off the record asks if she thinks Peter killed Stephen deliberately. Is he a man with a grudge? Sally doesn't appreciate this line of questioning and leaves the room. Good for Sally. Good, good for Sally. This was one of those things, one of the rare times where I disagreed with Swain. I love her. I love her to bits, but dragging a woman who's grieving and just found out that her husband may actually be alive into, into a conference room right then and there, maybe not the best time. Do you know how much Swain cares about Sally potentially grieving for not knowing where Tim is? Not one little bit. Swing. Do you know what Swing cares about? The truth. The truth. Yes. But she has been sympathetic in the past. She doesn't have a heart of stone. That's what we love about her. And as I said on the Twitter, Swain does not watch Corey. That's true. Swain does not stan anybody. It's true. Swain is not a ship for a couple in the show. Nope. She cares about the truth. That's all she cares about. And if she thinks that Peter deliberately killed Stephen, then a crime has been committed. Right, yes. But there feels like there's a presumption of guilt here that she already already believes that she knows the truth. And she's trying to connect what she's overheard between Sally and she believed this last she believed this last week, let's be honest. It's very suspicious. She had a look on her face. That's very suspicious. If I was her, I'd be very suspicious too. Back in the waiting area, Swain has a word with DC Tinker, and as Sally is about to complain about the line of questioning again, Swain announces that Tim has been found. He's in Weather General and so the moment passes and Sally and Tim's mum and I think Gail who's already fucked off well they all head to the hospital (laughs) Sally and Tim's mum are taken to see Tim who's in triage his heart is fine he's just dehydrated and exhausted (laughs) Sally rushes to see her man he admits that he thought he wasn't going to get out, and it was the thought of Sally that kept him going. He asks about but not like that. He asks about Stephen, and they tell him not to worry about that for now. At home, Peter is stewing about the metaphorical kicking he got from Gail and Sally and Audrey. He's worried that he can't trust his instincts anymore. He tells Carla about Sally claiming Stephen had dropped the bottle, but Carla already thought this for herself. <laughs> she didn't say anything because he was beating himself up about it as it was. Things take a turn for the worst when D.S. Swain and D.C. Tinker trap on the door. New information has come to light and Swain suspects that Peter hasn't been honest with him. Peter asks Tinker for a character reference, but this doesn't stop Swain arresting Peter on suspicion of Moida. Why on earth would she bring Tinker? Why? They usually go in pairs. Right, yeah. But why would you bring Tinker to arrest somebody he knows? Well, that's not something you do because you don't want the guy to be like. We can't complain about this every time it happens. 
tell us, Cra- tell her, Craig, tell her I'm not a murderer. This so happens, terrible. This happens every time. I know, and it's stupid, and it, I will complain every time. It is stupid, but is it any more stupid than making Tinker a policeman? And then a detective? <sighs> At least he doesn't have his shadow with him anymore. I think I would have preferred the shadow to be there. <laughs> That would mean I w- that you know, Swain sees a ghost I, as well. I, I would have, <laughs> I would have liked if that uh, that other lady detective came with her. We haven't seen her in ages. Which one? The one with the fringe? No, the one who helped Daisy, the one who was the most sympathetic towards Daisy, and got that other guy canned for following her on Insta. Oh, WPC sympathy. I think that's what her name was. <laughs> anyway, this brings us on to our first hard debate. Members of the jury of Corey Twitter, how do you find the defendant, Peter Barlow? Guilty of murder? Guilty of manslaughter? Guilty of being fit? Aye. <laughs> or not guilty, my lad? I would maybe go with manslaughter. Just, just because Stephen dropped the bottle doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't going to bodily harm Jenny or bodily harm someone else, you know? So I think Peter did everyone a favor, even though I would have rather seen Stephen in jail. Guilty uh, of murder, 8.8%. Oh. Guilty of manslaughter, 22.9%. Okay, so I'm with a, a big chunk of people. Guilty of being fit, aye, 23.2%. <gasps> and not guilty, my lord. 45.1%. Wow. wow. That's 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 a lot. I think maybe the show has has misjudged their audience. Not guilty, that surprised me because I think you'd probably have a hard job getting a murder rap for this. Right. While I think Peter absolutely did plough into him with the intention of killing him. Right. I don't think it was premeditated. I don't think he woke up that sm- that morning thinking, I'm going to go kill Stephen. No. I think he turned the corner. He saw Stephen there. Holding Jenny. And, mm, and then he just decided to drive into him. So I think maybe manslaughter yeah. or maybe causing death by dangerous driving. Vehicular manslaughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the way I would go. He's not guilty of anything. Yeah, he's guilty of something. You can't right. just go around knocking people right. over. Right, yeah. You, it, there's a law against vigilantism, mm-hmm. my lord. But hey, 45.1% said, you know what? Fuck it, let him go. Right, yeah, because we all hate Stephen. <laughs> right. Except for you. And that's as far as we get with that storyline for now. Dum, dum, dum. So we've got Tim back. Ah. I don't know. I think we're we're probably not going to agree on the the benefits to the storyline of, of killing Tim. I still think that a major character had to go. I think that it had to happen in Super Soap Week. And now just... You know, we've all often said that the week after Super Soap Week is arguably more interesting as the dust settles right. and you see the ramifications of things starting to play out and on monday i wasn't sure if that had happened no i think we got tim back too fast i think getting out of the boot is somewhat feasible because there were tools in the back 
there was a file in the back of the taxi cab for some reason. Because people are constantly filing things down off their car, aren't they, Gav? Mm-hmm. I'm filing my toenails as I'm driving. With the giant file tool? Mm-hmm. You've seen my toenails. <laughs> and on an emery board? <laughs> emery board. <laughs> but I think he should have just like tumbled out and then been just laying there. And I think the tension should have continued. And I think somebody should have found him. And I think he should stay in the hospital longer than he does. I think he's coherent way too fast. Mm. You know, I think there should have been some drama through this week of, is he going to die or not? Is he going to survive this or not? The way we had Nina. Remember when Nina nearly got kicked to death? It was like a week and a half before she finally woke up. Wasn't it? No, she woke up fairly early, but she was in the hospital for a while. Yeah. Because she woke up to find out what happened to Seb. I don't think it was like that day, but it was maybe the day after. Yeah. I, I think they I think they should have at least strung out. And it, it's it's missing a trick, isn't it? For this to have not affected his heart. Because let's remember, he was clutching his heart before he tied his shoes. He was clutching his heart before he tied his shoes. <laughs> I mean, and then he got clocked over the head. I mean, it's Which a, couldn't have been good for his heart. It's a silent killer. Bending over to tie your shoes. It is. Or is the silent killer not bending over to tie your shoes and then tripping and falling and bashing your head in? I mean, this is the... And dying the, of the, blood loss. This is the curse of being a white man. You and, die if you bend over to tie your shoes. You die if you don't bend over to tie your shoes. Right. Yeah. And for him to miraculously be the only person who survives Stephen clocking them over the head with a blunt instrument. No, Sarah survived as well. Right. Yeah. But she hadn't yet. She hadn't yet. But isn't that kind of ridiculous? The whole punch immediately kills Teddy. The lead pipe doesn't kill Tim or Sarah. I thought he hit Sarah with a bottle. Yeah, because he'd thrown the lead pipe away. Oh, that's right. He threw it over the fence. Yeah. Still, he bludgeons one person, they die. He bludgeons two other people who just happen to be regulars on the show, they don't die. This is the major character armor is too strong. And if he had killed Sarah, I feel like that would make the Audrey story so much more interesting. You know, where, you know, oh, he killed her by accident. Oh, yes, that would have been a better a better twist to the storyline that Audrey's taking Stephen's side despite the fact that Stephen killed Sarah. Sarah. That would have been really cool. Her granddaughter. Yeah. See, this is why we should be in the writer's room. <laughs> That's a trick, definitely. I think if they were going to go down... Like you said, if they're going to go down the line of, is Tim going to survive? Then they needed to go balls deep down that that line, and they didn't. No, because it was again, it's all resolved on right. on Monday. I mean, there's lingering effects <laughs> that we're going to talk about later, later, but finding them didn't take very long, and then he's he's kind of almost ready to discharge himself by the end of Monday. Right. I don't agree, and I'll never agree that. Him dying the week after Super Soap because the best way of going. But if they were to go down that road, then they should have played this out for longer into the week. Absolutely. Have a, a bigger question mark. Maybe it's a Super Soap fortnight. Right. You know? Who Would, knows? Wouldn't that just change the world? But Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It would have been better for him to die during Super Soap week. Correct. But I also think it would have been cool and unexpected for, you know him to be holding on 
he gets out of the he gets out of the boot. We think he's going to survive, and then he dies. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been cool too. Yeah, I mean, now every time I look at Tim, I just think, why aren't you dead? <laughs> and I liked him. No, yeah, I mean, and that's that's but, the whole thing. But I do think Coronation Street would be a better place if he wasn't in it. Right. Yes. I would have missed him terribly because Tim and Sally's relationship is one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. Of course, Carla and Peter's relationship is one of my favorite things as well. And we're going to lose that for a little while, which is sad, but I accept it. But it, it would have been it would have been cool and interesting for Tim to die and give Sally Denever just this really juicy mm-hmm. storyline of recovering from the grief and how she and then play out how she deals with her friend Gail and her family and Audrey. Yeah. With with the death. And sadly we're not gonna get that. No, we're not. Oh well, let's move on and we'll come back to this storyline a couple of times in the next hour or so. Absolutely. Our next storyline is Left in the Lurch. <laughs> On Monday, Eileen's Todd and George share an uncomfortable silence. It seems Todd is still winding George up about Lurch, which doesn't go down Lee. well. Todd pretends that he likes Lurch Lee. and might try to poach him to rest easy. And George storms off in a huff. So George and Lee are meeting a new client outside the Undertaker's because we can't give George a set for some reason. And as George talks to Mrs. Ramsbottom, bit him. He accidentally introduces Lee as Lurch, and this totally derails George, who stumbles over his words until Mrs. Ramsbottom eventually thinks Lee's name is Lee Lee. (coughs) Poor Lurch doesn't know where to look and begins to cry, as does George and Nick. And and Mrs. Ramsbottom. No, she doesn't care. (laughs) In his roles, George tells Roy that Lee has quit, probably to go to rest easy, and he blames Todd. There's tons of dead folk at the minute, and this has left him short-handed. Back home, Todd knows how George has been left in the lurch. <laughs> George is not impressed and essentially calls Todd a bully. He's so sick of the sight of Todd, he leaves to get a brew at work. And Todd's like, I'm a bully. Try growing up gay in Weatherfield. This is true. Yeah, it's not, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, though, is it? Right, no, it absolutely isn't. And he has been a dick about this. He's been a dick because he's jealous and wants to go back to George. Mm-hmm. But he's still being a dick to someone who has done nothing to him. Who is committing the heinous crime of being a bit tall. Right. Which George is also a bit tall. Maybe he's noticed. On Tuesday, Anina rolls Todd is with Paul when George comes in. Paul invites George over, but he's too busy with what what with Lee leaving. It's still tense between George and Todd. Todd admits to Paul that he feels bad over what happened with Lee. And Paul thinks this is a sign that he needs to do something about it. So Paul is scootering by the Undertakers and thanks George for giving Shelley such a great send-off. He's glad that he took Todd's advice and used Shuttleworth after all, and this gives George something to mull over because George didn't know anything about this. Correct. In the Beast wrote, Paul has met Todd, but Paul has set Todd up and invited George along as well. Paul scoots off, which allows Todd and George to talk. George thanks Todd for sending business his way and Todd admits that George cares more about people than rest easy does so it, it was nothing it was no biggie right George wants Todd to come back to work if he's so miserable there and Todd says the money is still an issue so George doesn't offer him his old job back he offers him to come back as junior partner you've got yourself a partner says Todd 
junior partner, says George. Yes. And that's the end of that storyline for this week. Thank that God he's finally back. Seriously, seriously, because <clears throat> this is my third most favorite relationship on the show is George and Todd. They say it themselves. They're a good double act. Yeah. Yeah, they're adorable. And, you know, there's this kind of paternalistic relationship, you know, which works really nice considering that George is shagging Eileen. Right. You know, behind the scenes in her nun habit. Oh. <laughs> See, Sally and Tim do not have the corner on kinkiness on the street. Uh, not really part of the storyline, but what this did for me, seeing Paul leave on his own. Right, in his wheelchair. It brought it home yeah. that the bistro is on the ground floor. Yeah. I always thought that the restaurant was upstairs. I always thought that they were on the first floor. You see people walking in and not, not climbing through, stairs. You see people going in from the street. Yeah. But then you see people coming through a separate door facing the other way, coming into the, the restaurant area. I thought coming between back those from two the bathroom. Things, I thought between those two things was a flight of stairs. It always struck me that it was on the on the on the upstairs. It despite the fact that there's no room for it no in the building that it's in right for that to be a thing but i would have sworn that that was upstairs i think you just and saw the people reason, coming back from the bathroom and the reason why i think is because it reminds me of the gulnar indian restaurant in larbert which is upstairs it is that's true so this but the fact and a, and but a the lot fact of that, british places are like that the fact that paul couldn't have gone out because there's no elevator they've no. never seen an elevator Paul couldn't have gone out on his own if it wasn't on the ground floor. It's Correct. Like, Holy shit, that's on the ground floor. Yeah. Blew my mind. <laughs> Blew my mind. I thought it was nice that, you know, he accepted help from, from George and Todd to get from the booth back into his chair. That was actually lovely. It was. Because he had no qualms whatsoever about no. asking for it. Exactly. Right, you guys give me help and I'll go and leave you to it. Right. That was really nice. I liked that. Rather I, than being all self-conscious about right. it and stuff. I, li- I, liked, I liked to see evidence of Paul's acceptance without it being made a big to-do about. Yeah, this is, we've kind of shown right. not told it. Right, which is nice. Yeah, more of, more of this, please. don't tell, please. Yes. Yeah, so I, I do agree, though, about the, the kind of bullying nature of Todd here that is almost done for comedy. Right. This poor guy who's in touch with his feelings. Right. Who is emotional. Right, yeah. And that's maybe, played for laughs. And I don't appreciate which that. Which maybe isn't great in a in an undertaker. Right. But, but you know, it's it's played for laughs. Like, ha, ha, ha. He cries. And that's so funny. And it's funny because I was thinking in another storyline where you see a father say to his son that he loves him and thinking, that is so nice. And it's really nice to see men showing love to one another mm-hmm. on a show like this. But there's also still this this little hang up of mocking men for having feelings. No, it comes from Todd. But this feels like this is an old Todd trait. This feels like these are the sort of things that being with George has kind of rid Todd off. He's right. St- he's still got a sense of humour and he can still rip the piss out you a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. kind of not done as nastily as this was. Well, 
I feel like when we see the nasty side of Todd, it's because he's jealous of someone else and wants what someone else has. Mm-hmm. First, it was Billy. Yeah, that's true. And he was a bully to Paul. And now it's George, and he was a bully to poor Lee. Mm-hmm. I just wish they would have found a better way of doing it where where there wasn't name-calling and bullying empathy in a man. Right, because the whole thing, let's not forget, is as dramatic as Todd's got a pay rise and a promotion. Right. That's what the past few weeks has been for. Right, yeah, and then realizing how much they miss one another, mm-hmm. which is funny because here's two men admitting that they missed one another while also mocking the empathy of another male character. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on then to our next story, which is getting to know Joel. I said on Twitter that it would be nice if once Paul's, you know, in inverted commas, gone to a better uh, place. Right. If Joel and Billy could get together. Because uh-huh. we'd have a, a good ship name for them straight away, wouldn't we? <laughs> we would we would i believe joel is think, straight yeah, though joel's more in in the market for an uptown girl i guess yes <laughs> on monday <laughs> at the baileys ed learns that ronnie has another knock back from an investor and they're starting to run out of options here Didi attempts to talk about her new flame but a call from ronnie puts a kibosh on that Right, and also concerned for Michael. Eventually, Ed catches up with Dee Dee and Nina's roles. He knows he's been uninterested in her love life, so asks about Joel now. Dee Dee decides to set up a lunch at the bistro for the three of them to get to know each other. Ed chats to Michael about the lunch at the bistro and asks Michael to join them because he doesn't want... Ed's not really interested in being the third wheel in this. Right, and also Michael's having a hard time. But yeah, Michael is still too down in the dumps about being a fucking idiot. On Tuesday, at the Baileys, Dee Dee notices that they've got mail for Norris Cole trying to flog him a credit card. Norris Cole's been dead for a number of years. Isn't this interesting? Has it been a number of years? Yeah, a good couple of years, yeah. I thought it was just last year. Nah. I thought he died during the pandemic. He was in the in memoriam uh, 2021. Ah, yes. That established she and Ed head off for a coffee. And in the roles, Ed is talking to Aggie or claiming to on the phone. He goes to pay for his coffee, but his card is declined. Nina suggests inserting it. But not like that. Still no dice. So Joel, who was behind in the queue, pays it forward. He doesn't know who Ed is. At this time. And Ed isn't really amused by this. Dee Dee and Joel are in the bistro later waiting for Ed. And when he comes in, Joel is about to tell the story of, Oh, I've met you already. Have we met in the cafe? But Ed cuts him off. It makes it clear that it doesn't want to talk about it. The meal seems to go well, though. Ed wants to settle up, but Joel, who we think has gone off for a shite, has actually already paid for it and suggests lightheartedly that Ed pays next time. Right. Ed looks at Joel like he's a right shifty bastard for paying for lunch. Right. How dare you? How dare you treat me? At home, Ed is fingering the credit card envelope for Norris. But not like that. When Dee Dee and Joel come in. Joel's got good news. He may have found a potential investor for Ed. A man named Harold Stiles, who's looking to diversify <laughs> his portfolio. That wasn't really his name, was it? Harold Stiles. They really did that? Mm-hmm. Why was I not paying attention? Why was, I, why was I not paying attention when my favourite member of One Direction was mentioned? 
Harold. <laughs> and Harold apparently is expecting to hear from Ed. Ed, again, doesn't look like he appreciates this. Right, yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if they gave Harry Styles a cameo on Coronation Street? Wouldn't it be funny if it actually was Harry Styles? He wouldn't be the first pop star to appear on the cobbles. Or want to. I think Bob Dylan and Snoop Dogg would be a little put out that Harry Styles jumped the line. But, you know. Well, the trailblazers in this regard were, of course, a little thing called status quo. (laughs) Never heard of them. Really? Yeah. My God. There are lots of American acts you've never heard of. It's fine. Poor America. They quickly draft up a business proposal and Dee Dee nips off for a shite and this allows Ed to give Joel the money that he owes him for the coffee. I can afford a coffee and I can afford to buy my daughter lunch, says Ed, who's in scary dad mode. Joel says that he bought lunch to prove that he wasn't a deadbeat. He thought Ed would be interested in knowing that he's not a deadbeat. Right. And he bought and Ed coffee because, do you know what? Dee Dee's personality is starting to wear him down. Which is nice. Which I thought was a weird thing. Oh, right, there, yeah. There's a nice sentiment, but a weird way of putting it. Right. On Wednesday, on the street, Ed posts the credit card application in the name of Norris Cole. Michael catches him and is suddenly curious, what on earth could his dad be posting? Right, yes. Who uses snail mail anymore, Dad? He's and he, he claims that he's mailing pictures of glory to his dad, yep. who is too old to use social media. Yeah, all of this to cover the fact that Michael asked a question that nobody would be asking. What you posting? What fucking business is it of yours? Beat it. I would be curious because who uses snail mail? Michael's off to face the music at the factory where he fully expects he'll lose his job. The liquor people are concerned about whether they're going to get paid this week when Michael comes in. Beth is as magnanimous as you'd expect and tells... Michael that Sarah wants to see him in the office. In better news, Beth is over her COVID. Yes. In the roles, Ronnie's back from holiday and is with Ed when Joel comes in and insists on buying them both coffees. Ed has had it up to his tits with this pish, but lets it go. He has more to worry about today with Michael. <coughs> Talking of which, Michael goes to speak with Sarah and starts pitching new ideas to her, but Sarah is sorry. He's done a lot for the company, but he doesn't have the common sense or the brains he was born with, and so therefore... He's fired. Yes. And Carla has left poor Sarah with this job. Yeah. Ed gets home and sees Michael, who is far more upset about his firing than I expected him to be. He's having a bit of an existential crisis about the whole thing. He has a daughter. He's still living with his folks. He's pushing 40. He's achieved nothing since Grace left and has lost his business to Carla. He wants to be independent and for Glory to be proud of him. And now he needs to start from scratch again. And he is so tired. Ed is sympathetic until Michael says that he's going to need his investment money back, of which Ed shits himself. And I totally understand this because his younger brother is a former soccer superstar that everybody knows. Yep. And his sister is a hotshot lawyer. Who everybody loves. Who everybody loves. Oops. (laughs) Yikes. I just flew back from LA. Middle child syndrome much? Isn't, Isn't Michael the oldest? Or is Dee Dee the oldest? I thought Dee Dee was the oldest, but maybe not. Maybe it is Michael. But can you imagine? James is definitely the youngest. Yes. I think Michael's the oldest. Maybe he is. Because I think Dee Dee... 
We should probably know this. We should probably know this. But so, so let's just pretend that nobody noticed that bit and we'll just crack on. Yes. Ed goes to the builder's yard and tells Ron about Michael's existential crisis and how he wants his investment back. Too bad, so sad, the investment is all tied up. But Ronnie suggests that they throw my grand each out of their own pockets to tide him over and Ed's like, well, that doesn't help me. <laughs> Later, Ed has Ronnie's thousand pounds, so he goes to give that to Michael with the promise of more to come. Right. But Michael would rather he just kept it invested in the company, saying that he was only venting earlier. Ed be- begs him to take it, saying that it's his money, and we don't really see the outcome of that conversation. Right. And also, it's very suspicious because Ed should have $2,000 oh, with yes. him. Or pounds. Yes. Ed goes to meet Either Ronnie one. in the bistro and tells him that Michael took the money after some persuasion. But Ronnie is under the impression that it was two grand. And when he leaves, we see that Ed still has a one grand in cash. Oh, Ed. Ed. So he's not told anybody not to tell anybody else about this. So Ronnie thinks that Ed gave two grand to Michael. Right. Michael thinks that only one grand was on offer and right. ever was on offer. And he refused it. And he refused it. it. And Ed is now £1,000 better off. Right, yes. And and says and says to Ronnie, <coughs> don't say anything to Michael because he's really embarrassed about this. But people are going to talk about this, aren't they? I mean... Well, he said not to. Well, since when did that ever count? So, Ronnie may... Actually, Ronnie may say something to say, Debbie... Because they are my fourth favorite couple on the show. And and they are deplorable together <laughs> later, which is just so adorable. I love them so much. But <clears throat> so eventually it'll get around to Michael through the through the telephone, through the grapevine, to know, coin th- a phrase. I, th- I think it might, might all come home to roost a little bit earlier than that. Mm. I mean, the storyline is going to be a one... lot more convoluted than you think. This... Uh, this Ed thing, we've not really wanted to see this and we've not wanted to really investigate the Ed gambling addiction thing. Right. Which was raised when they, they joined the show and never really has been a thing. No. Now, years later, yeah, becomes a thing. Suddenly, Aggie disappears and all hell breaks loose. It's like Tyrone and Fizz. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and... <sighs> It bothers me a little bit because we saw him, we saw him gamble that one time because there was a dead body and they needed money. Mm-hmm. We saw him do it that one time and then nothing has been mentioned for weeks. And now all of a sudden he's like full blown in addiction mode and stealing in line from his family. Yeah, we don't really see him gambling, but stealing from Ronnie, which is effectively what he's doing here. Right. And stealing from Michael has got to be basically for and, that intention, right? And effectively stealing from Dead Norris. Well, when that credit card comes through, because that's a whole separate thread, right? Right. There. Poor Dead Norris. Right. His credit rating's going to take a hit. <laughs> to yeah. add insult to injury. It was nice to see him on that that show for Rita. It was, yes. Yeah. It reminds us that he's not, in fact, dead in real life. Yes. Yes. Do you think Michael deserved to lose his job? Yes. Yeah, I do too. You know, and I like Michael. I like Michael more than you like Michael. I can like Michael. Yeah, but I like him more than you do, I think. So you really like Michael? No, not that much. 
Well, you like him exactly the same as I do then. <laughs> you know, I sympathize with him. And I think I think it's really interesting, this kind of almost midlife crisis that he's going through where Very he, interesting. Is, he, is, he has not seen the success that his siblings have seen. Michael's best scene in ages. Yes. Was that scene. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is like one of the few really interesting things to come out of the climax of Super Soap Week is is Michael's crisis of, of conscience and, you know, and, and being at a crossroads of his life where he hasn't seen the success of the rest of his family. And he's getting sympathy from his dad, who also, I think, has had an axe to grind with Ronnie. We saw that in that in the initial storyline where Ronnie came to stay. And we're so glad he did. Where Ed was begrudging of, of Ronnie's success a little. So, um, which made the fact that Ronnie might be Michael's dad even worse. So glad that's over. But, um, yeah, that's like one of the few good things that's come out of Super Soap Week so far. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on to our next storyline, which is Tim's mom about the house. Swain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tim's mom. Tim's mom. On Tuesday. About the house. Sal and Tim's mom were getting ready to go visit Tim, but apparently visiting doesn't start until 2pm, so Tim's mom tells Sally to get some rest while she hides away from the world. She threatens that she's not going anywhere for now while Tim needs her. Welcome back, Tim's mom. Tim and Sally. Sally's included now. Uh, and what? In, in the reason why Tim's mom isn't leaving. She says, you and Tim need me here. I don't think she says it yet. She says it in the hospital in a little bit. Back in the hospital, in his bed, Tim is having third-person flashbacks about Stephen's attack, which just looks so weird. Yeah. Because in his mind, it's Tim's from seen his point the of show. View. No, it's not from his point of view. Some it's of from, it it's is. From, no, it's, none of it is. It's from the camera's point of view. Because there's, like, one scene where you see Stephen, like, standing over Tim. Tim, but you're right. Tim features you're right. in his flashback in his own flashbacks. Right, yeah. There's one part where it, it's from Tim's eye view, but everything else is yes, absolutely. From the camera's flashback, you're right. Third person flashbacks, y'all. Sally and Tim's mom come in and Tim demands to know what's going on with Stephen, so Sally breaks it to him. He dead. Sally brings Tim up to speed using words of one syllable, while Tim's mum apologises for not believing Tim. Smugly, Tim says that he's still here and he'll never take anyone or anything for granted again, which sounds like something Homer Simpson once said before spending an entire day watching 10-pin bowling on TV. And eating donuts. Tim's mum announces that she will be staying in Weatherfield for the foreseeable. She thinks Tim and Sally could both do with a mum. Neither Tim nor Sally say anything. Sally leaves... Tim and Tim's mum to chat. He thinks Tim's mum should be doing what she really wants to do, not to worry about him, and she shouldn't be doing anything out of guilt that she feels for believing Stephen. He would rather she was happy. Believing Stephen. He would rather that she was happy than nearby. He tells her to grab this second chance. On Wednesday, Tim's having more third-person flashbacks when he wakes in a sweat in a hospital bed. Well, let's hope it's sweat. 
<sighs> Sally and Tim's mum show up. Tim's mum has now decided that she's going to hang around after all until Tim's back on his feet. She's still beating herself up about believing Stephen over Tim. Well, for fuck's sake, you're really beginning to annoy me. <laughs> what? <sighs> she keeps on apologising for uh. the same thing over and over again. Well, everybody seems to be apologising over and over again for being stupid and believing Stephen's lies. Tim's mum reckons that she keeps falling for bad men. She's right. Well, it's happened twice. Sally wants to... Yeah, it's both fairly serious misjudgments in character, though, right? Twice. Sally wants to... Yeah, but both fairly serious misjudgments in character. Well, yes. Sally wants to change the subject and would would rather talk about things that Tim wants to do before he dies on his bucket list. He'd like to paraglide. No, thank you. Later at home now, Tim has more third-person flashbacks, these ones from the perspective of the submerged roof box that Ted's skeleton was hidden in. There there actually appears to be a little bit of flesh on it this week. Sally and Tim's mum are concerned about the way that he woke up, but he insists that he's fine. Sally tells him to go to bed, and she nips out to get sandwiches or something. And later, Tim is half asleep watching Zombiesy. When Sally comes home, she's put Steve off for a visit, as she would rather he concentrates on his third eye and orders him upstairs to balance his chakra. Tim isn't sure if this means he's getting his hole. Right, and she is very offended that he's watching Zombiesy without her. It's been a while since we've had a Zombiesy reference. I think the last one I remember came from Gina. She was watching a Zombiesy box set. Oh, I remember that. That was a while ago. That was the name of the episode, I think. (laughs) But later, Steve pops round to visit anyway. He's just back from holiday, but not with Ronnie. And he has a brand new haircut. (coughs) It's such a better haircut. Yes. And he's pleased to see that Tim is still alive. Tim explains about his third eye refocus on his bucket list. Steve thinks this means carpet bowls and petonk. But Tim wants to do some more adrenaline-fueled activities and, as if to prove it, nips back upstairs to get his chakra realigned again. Right. And later on, Tim gets back from a wee walk, goes to make himself a cuppa when he has another third-person flashback. Mm -hmm. This one of him being dead. And that's as far as we get with that this week. And he should have stayed there. (laughs) Maybe he did die. Is this that movie with Bruce Willis? No, I'm thinking... Bruce Willis? I'm thinking this is a movie with Kiefer Sutherland. Is this Flatliners? I love that movie. It was such a stupid movie, but I loved it. It was so creepy. That was a good movie. Why don't they make movies like that anymore? I don't think that's within the scope of this podcast. <laughs> Why not more Flatliners and less Slother House? So they brought Tim back to have flashbacks. Right, yeah. But the reason why he's not dead is so he can have flashbacks. Right. And PTSD. Where are we going with this? Right. Where are yeah. we going with this? Are we going to PTSD territory? It would make sense. Frankly, I wish he was dead. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it make it, it totally... This is kind of believable. Even though him getting out of the hospital so quickly isn't believable. But... And then being capable of having sex with Sally so quickly. Mm. Um... As much as it's nice to see them both rushing up the stairs, it's it's always fun to see, at least that part. Um, at least they didn't break out the costumes this time. <laughs> I don't know. This felt it felt almost like they'd planned Tim to be dead because this just feels 
very repetitive for the rest of the week. If it's not Tim's mum apologising for not believing Tim, it's right. Tim having a third-person flashback. Over and over and over again. Oof. And then having sex with Sally. I don't think it's I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> I just no. think it's worth having Tim here for that. Yeah. And this kind of this kind of accentuates why despite us liking him, this was probably a good time for Tim to go. Mm. Cause what what's what's next for Tim? What's right. Tim's next storyline? Right. Being a bit jittery about Getting hit over the head by a serial killer, right, and surviving, right, doesn't even seem to have survivor's guilt. I it's, was just gonna say that. I was just gonna say, like, you know, at no point, at no point is he like, well, you know, I'm here, but Teddy's I, not, or right, Leo's not, and, and that's the reason why. Yeah, it's because he never killed anybody important. No, he's not saying. Why am I? Why am I alive and Jenny isn't? Or why am I alive and Sarah isn't? Right. He's yeah. Like, why am I alive and those three people whose names I don't know? Right. Who I never. Who I was never in a scene with. <laughs> he may have been. He may have been in the pub when Leo was in there, but. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody important should have died. And I know we keep on coming back to this, but the show is reminding us every step of the way. That this storyline is a, a substitute for something heftier that that didn't happen. Right, and if Tim had died, then it would be Jenny who would be like, and Sarah who would be like, "Why am I still here?" And Tim is dead, you know, because they were both nearly killed by Stephen. It would have been so much better. It would have been really. Something really interesting to sink our teeth into post Super Soap Week. Whereas now, really, the only thing that we have our sink to sink our teeth into, which is Peter possibly getting sent down for murdering Stephen and Audrey being confused and saying really inappropriate things to people like Sarah with that whole accident line. <laughs> You know, and we've had Audrey being confused as a storyline already. Yeah, and if this is going in the direction of Tim and Sally becoming distant to each other because Tim's suffering from this depression and this uh, PTSD from not being killed by by Stephen, well, we've had Tim and Sally having his health get between right. them recently when when we had Tim's Bobby storyline. Right, and yeah. And then Tim's heart storyline. And, you know, Tim forgetting Sally's birthday, which I'm sure has happened. You know, I've, it, we don't even have Sally feeling guilty anymore that she thought he went to the, to the footy match with no, Kev. No, that's all forgotten about that's now. That's completely forgotten about. You'd think that she would apologize and say, I'm so sorry that I thought... You know, I'm so sorry that this happened to you while I was thinking that you were, you know, skiving off. So again, the, the dust is settling, but the dust is settling in a really unappealing manner. Anticlimactic, I would even mm -hmm. call it. <sighs> All right, let's move on into our penultimate storyline, Peter and the Bottle. 
Peter und in the bottle. Say it right. Bottle. Peter in the bottle. On Tuesday, Adam is at Carla's with Simon and Kev because Simon's still alive and a thing. Adam <laughs> is worried about Peter running his mouth off in the police interview, although Adam has managed to get him a cracking lawyer. We all believe in him, says Simon. Yes, says Carla. And everyone else, silently. At the, at the cop shop, we discover that Peter's cracking lawyer is Kim, who was Toya's old lawyer. If there's a lawyer in Weatherfield who can get people off <clears throat> causing accidental death by driving, <clears throat> it's Kim. That's true. She advises him to say the bare minimum or just no comment rather than help the police who are just fishing for a motive. In comes DS Swain and DC Tinker, the Again. latter of whom knows Peter personally and surely... surely this is against regulations. Absolutely. Swain questions Peter about Stephen drugging Carla and wonders how that made him feel. Peter admits that it made him angry. Kim looks like she's about to just walk out, so Peter yeah. decides to no comment when he's asked about threatening Stephen in front of Audrey. And this non-answer nearly makes Craig's head explode. When pressed on whether he said he wanted to see Stephen dead, Peter says it was a figure speech. And again, Kim just wants to pack up her stuff. She advises a five-minute break, but Peter doesn't want a break. He wants to get this done and get this off his chest. He tells Swain that a threat to kill someone is different from killing someone, that he didn't mean to kill Stephen, that he was protecting Jenny, but if he had to do it all over again, he would do it exactly the same. Right, to protect Jenny. Kim throws her papers up in the air and starts on today's Wordle, which was quite challenging, I felt. <laughs> Swain. So Ken has gone round to number eight to see Audrey, who spends so little time at Grassmere Drive these days, she'd be as well just moving back to the street. It's an ill-advised meeting, which seems to start pleasantly enough, but when Ken mentions that Peter did what he did to protect Jenny, Audrey calls Peter a murderer and throws Ken out. Right. So Peter is eventually released without charge for now. Kim tells Adam that Peter didn't do himself any favours in the interview. Surprise, surprise. Back home, Peter is still in a combative mood and goes off on one when Ken expresses sympathy for Audrey. Peter says the world is a safer place without Stephen in it. Audrey could have been next, for fuck's sake. She was almost first. <laughs> let's, all, let's all remember that Stephen almost drugged his mother to death. That was like one of the first things he almost did. It comes out that Peter told Stephen in front of Audrey that he would rather see Stephen dead than lie his way out of the situation, and this changes the mood in the room somewhat, with Ken reckoning this will be a problem if the police think that Peter meant it. Peter takes this as a request from Ken for him to deny it, but rather than do that, he storms out. Adam is a lawyer and notices, well, Peter didn't deny it. Yep. Peter's in the community garden... <coughs> Peter's in the community garden when Max comes out to check on him. This is weird matchup of the week. Weird matchup of, of the, the week. week. Max tells Peter that not everyone in the family hates him for what he did. Ken and Carla come out to apologise and tell him that they believe him and that he saved Jenny's life. Who says Peter? Jenny says Carla. Oh yeah. <laughs> I kind of liked. I kind of liked that that weird interaction between Max and and Peter though, because Peter is good with the kids. He's always been down with the kids. And I think if anybody in that family is going to be sympathetic to Peter, it's going to be Max, who has questionable morals. Um, although David, David seems to be sympathetic towards P 
Peter as well mm-hmm. in later storylines. But um, it was kind of nice. We get a, we get two very small but important scenes with Max this week. And it's it's interesting. Both of and both of them are really interesting. Of course, in both scenes, Max isn't the interesting part. <laughs> in the factory, Sarah bugs Carla for a decision on Michael, but Carla's more concerned about a Medoro deal that's turned sour because they didn't want to work with serial killers. So Carla has made the snap decision to go to Spain to talk them round. Because of course she of course she does. I think I want to hear Carla speak Spanish. <laughs> In that accent. I would like to hear her say, all right, ball bags in Spanish. Say what? (laughs) All right, ball bags. That's better. A little better. (laughs) I'm an American. David goes round to Rita's to pick up the last of Stephen's things, which isn't a lot, but includes a s'mores maker. So that's interesting, isn't it, (laughs) Helen? Jenny is still quite numb about the whole thing and tells Rita that Stephen dropped the broken bottle and said that he wouldn't hurt her before Peter smashed every bone in his body with his taxi. She doesn't intend to tell the cops, though. She doesn't want to get Peter into trouble. Back and home. also, as Rita points out, just because he says something doesn't mean he means it. Right. Back home, Gail wants all Stephen Shite taken to a charity shop, but David thinks of some coin in the murderabilia and puts Stephen's Canada hat on. That was hilarious. Gail finds Stephen's will on the box and he's left all of his worldly goods to Audrey. Gail doesn't want to bo- bother Audrey with any of this, so says that she'll register the death and speak to George about the funeral, which I don't think Audrey's going to thank her for. No, and I don't think George is going to thank her for. George is going to be like, you know what? I've still got Phelan's ashes back there. Are you want me to stick Stevens next to them? No, you got rid of Phelan's ashes. Quite some time on the ago. Red wreck, I think. But I feel like, I feel like he'd be like, you know what? One serial killer is enough. You could go to the. Rest easy. Rest easy, Skyvers. Daniel is round at Peter's chatting about the investigation. Peter is on edge about the whole thing, reckoning the cops could come in to arrest him at any minute. Carla comes in as Daniel leaves, and she tells Peter that she can't go at the bistro tonight for dinner like they planned because she's fucking off to Spain. Right. Sorry about that, not sorry. Yeah, because yeah, Daniel invites them to the bistro because Daisy's working there now in another storyline. And Peter's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And Carla's like, I can't go. Oh, all right, we'll just get a pizza and a movie. Yeah, actually, I'm going to be eating in Spain. Yeah. Paella for me tonight. Yes. Si. Shona nips Senor. into the salon to speak with David, who has been rushed off his feet today. Everyone wants the gossip about the demon barber of Coronation Street. Oh, and there's also some quality chat about chips. Yes. So, so what do you want for dinner? Uh, pesto or pasta? What am I, a teenager? Oh, well, I don't know. How about ham, egg and chips? I was wanting something more exotic. Crinkle chips. <laughs> it was hilarious because Shona comes in to get ideas for tea. And David says, oh, I'm not bothered, whatever. And she's like, you say that all the time. And then you bitch and moan about what I make. And I was like, I've never felt more seen in a scene in Coronation Street than this scene right here because that happens all the time <laughs> when I make dinner and you're like, eh, never mind, I'll make myself a sandwich. Oh, you make dinner? Occasionally. When it's my night and we're not both keeling over in death. Huh? Yeah, I guess sometimes you do make dinner. Anyway, this brings us on to this week's second hard debate. 
David's not wrong. Crinkle cut chips are more exotic. But which cut is best? Straight cut, crinkle cut, curly or waffle? Waffle. Although I do like a curly fr- I like the curly fries at Arby's, which are seasoned. Those are really good. Do they have Arby's in the United Kingdom? I don't think so, but they have curly fries. Do they have seasoned curly fries, though? They have seasoning, yes. Do they have seasoning? They do. Do they have seasoning that wasn't, you know, appropriated from colonialism? How is that different from any American seasoning? It's not. I'm just asking. It's not. Okay. We're not really colonialists. Tell that to the Native Americans. That wasn't that wasn't necessarily colonialism. That's taking over and and just taking over. Colonialism That's colonialism. No, colonialism is what we did in the Philippines, where we go and we boss people around and then we leave. But we take their resources. No, that's not colonialism. Colonialism is setting up a colony. Hence the name. But also like fucking off to another country. Pick a fucking chip. I said waffle. And, and then also you said curly. curly. So I can't, I can't. Okay, I'm going to go with curly, but only Arby's curly fries. Waffle, 7.3%. <gasps> I'm Cur- shocked by that. Curly, 22.3%. Well, there you go. Straight cut, 33.5%. God, that's so Just boring. a regular chip. That's so fucking boring. And crinkle cut, 36.9%. So just crinkle cut. <sighs> These are the people who want Peter to be not guilty, by the way. <laughs> and don't like seasoning. Seasoning's not mentioned anywhere <laughs> in this, other than in your head for some reason. Right, yes. Along well, with the definition they, of colonialism. They didn't choose the curly fries. Don't forget, you're an American now. Yeah, and, and who knows what a colony is? You're from two terrible cultures. I've got... I've got <laughs> I've got two passports that are vying in my uh, man bag for being the worst. <laughs> At least you're Scottish. At least you're not English. That would be worse. <laughs> and we wonder why we never get any English correspondence. <laughs> yeah. I would they know go, what I, they did. I would go for curly. It's a better surface area, I think. Yes. Carla's packed and ready to go, promising that she won't be gone long and apologising for the time and he tells her that if he's not there when she comes back, she'll know where he is. So she says, fine, I won't go to Spain then. She wants to support him, but she needs Underworld to survive, she tries to explain. Right, she offers yeah. to stay, but he sends her off with something approaching his passive-aggressive blessing. Right, yes, and, and for some reason, this week. he's got her passport. <laughs> what was that all about? She's like, have you seen my passport? He's like, you mean this passport? That's the very one. Because <laughs> she needs a passport to go to Spain now. Is she just thinking of any excuse to get out of Dodge because she reckons that Peter's guilty as all sin? Maybe. You know who colonized America? The British. So it's still your fault. I'm sorry, the the length of time between us stopping talking about that and you bringing it back up again is far too long. It's null and void, I'm afraid. Oh, well. This, this is like you realising, oh, I've got a really good comeback to that argument as I'm driving home away from it <laughs> on your own. Or in my shower. That's where I come up with the best comebacks. In the shower, two days later. There you go. Yeah, it just seems... It just seems a rather extreme 
course of action for it to take when video chat is a thing, emails Zoom. are a thing, yeah. phone calls are a thing. Her going there, I don't know what that's going to show other than she really just wants to get away from Coronation Street. And she's really desperate, mm-hmm. which never works. She seems to be worried an awful lot about the money that Stephen stole. But, right. But they Stephen doesn't get to keep that. That's well, no, the, he's dead, but uh, Audrey so might get it. That doesn't go to Audrey's. This is money there, that it, has been... It hasn't been stolen. Let's forget. Let's not forget. It was negligence. So no, they don't true. automatically get it back. They're going to try to get it back, but they don't automatically get it back. That's 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 essentially why they're firing Michael. It wasn't just for being dumb, but for being so dumb. Oh, it's extreme negligence. Yeah, yeah the extreme negligence here because is the problem because the, the insurance won't cover it. Because although Stephen was technically his boss, it's like, well, you should stand up to your boss and not give this code that you're not supposed to give out. Right, but he thought Carlo okayed it because he's dumb that and should, that can't look have made at a any phone. Difference. That shouldn't yeah. have made any difference. He should, he, just, he should, should have not. insisted upon talking to Carla himself. Or let Carla be the one to give her code. Right, yeah. If, if he's on the phone to Carla, get Carla to do it. Right, yeah, because she's the big boss. Mm-hmm. I don't think, but, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't expecting Stephen to steal all the money, though, because Stephen said he had it, he had to have it for something else. He didn't say, I need this so I can take all the money. He says, I need this because we might have a lawsuit for yeah. something dumb. So, I don't know. That shouldn't have made any difference. It, it is what it is. But yeah, I tell you right. what, Beth wouldn't have given him his, his, her access code if she had one, nope. which she never would. <laughs> Maybe she should. No, you're right. It's It was, it was withdrawn legally. I mean, I guess, is it embezzlement? Is he embezzling? Is he stealing from his company? Maybe he's stealing from his company. Maybe that's what he's got to prove. What they've got the to company prove, yeah. money is not his money to take. It wasn't his to take to right. put in his personal account. So, yeah. I don't know. It, it, feels, it feels like maybe it's a bit early to, worrying about, to be worrying about that. But that's exactly what Carla's doing, is worrying very much about that. But yeah, David and Shona were box office this week. It's so funny. Yes. I'm glad we agree on that. Yes. All right. Our last storyline tonight is not only but also fans. <laughs> on Monday, Ryan is nervous ahead of his speech at the STC. That's a young offenders thing. Right. Yes. Racist, remember. Racist Kelly reckons it'll be brutal, which doesn't help. Ryan eventually meets up with Daniel and Nina Rolls, but Ryan has changed his mind. Daniel tries to calm Ryan and assure him that he's not going to be thrown to the lions or anything here. Ryan goes off for a coffee and Daniel gets on the phone to someone looking for a favour. So at the SDC ahead of the talk, we learn that Daniel's secret weapon to calm Ryan is Daisy. So the two of them can do it together in front of the kids, but not like that, and also give the talk. Ryan is wobbling big time, but Daisy puts him at his ease. This is his chance to tell it how it is and have an impact on even just one kid. It's their story. How can they get it wrong? Right. So Daisy goes first, explaining to a small group from the bad haircut wing how the acid attack has changed her life and personality. One of the boys, Matty, finds all of this quite boring. And yawns. Ryan goes next and talks about his scars and how uh, he's doing quite well. But Matty becomes quite animated and eventually storms out. So Daniel goes after him. And outside, Matty isn't interested in this violin story. Ryan (coughs) comes out and Matty reveals that he's inside for glass and a bloke for eyeing up his bird. 
So Ryan asks for a few moments alone with Matty in the corridor, but not to punch his lights out, to talk to him. Interesting. And later, Ryan somehow encourages Matty to go back into the room and he finishes his speech, which essentially tells them that it's easy to get caught up in your life and it can all change in an instant and he advises them to take a beat before doing something that they might end up regretting. And might have changed someone's life forever. Free their minds and the rest will follow. Be colourblind. Be Don't the, be so shallow. Be the master of yourself. Great advice. And Ryan gets a warm round of applause and a generous bunch of roses. <laughs> and Daisy gets nothing. And Nina rolls. Daniel is very happy with how the speech went and was impressed by the reaction from the kids with the bad haircuts. Daisy was impressed too and reckons that if Ryan is capable of doing that, maybe he shouldn't be wanking off in front of strangers anymore. Yeah, but this doesn't pay as well, says Ryan. Doesn't pay at all. So on their way home, Daisy realises that the acid attack happened seven months ago and she's just now starting to get over it. It's changed her and Ryan forever and it's hard to explain if you haven't lived it, she says. Right. And Daniel sucks a thoughtful tooth at this. On Tuesday, Daniel has received positive feedback from Daisy and for Daisy and Ryan's presentation yesterday from his boss. He thinks this is a great opportunity for her to mentally reset, whatever that means, and he leaves her to self-manifest again, whatever that means. As soon as he's gone, Ryan calls and arranges to meet Daisy for lunch. Ryan is working out when Daisy arrives at his flat. He quickly hides his steroids. Massive, (laughs) huge barbells there. Massive. They're so big. She worries that she's interrupted him from the masturbating. She wants to go for a walk, so he'd send her to the cake shop while he jumps in the shower. So Daisy and Ryan have their walk, and they get back to the precinct when Max and Gav are having fun with a bottle of water, and Gav ends up accidentally throwing water in Ryan's face. Ryan reacts badly, wrestles Gav to the ground, and looks like he's going to start leaning into him when Daisy pulls him off. But not like that! And he realises that he's overreacted. And also... Oh, you don't have your guitar over there. I'm surprised. Because in Ryan's mind, he sees he sees Justin. Yes. Which was not appreciated no. by Flash, me. Flashback of the week? Well, no, obviously. No. Tim gets all the flashbacks of the week. This isn't really a flashback because Justin was never there. Back in the flat, Ryan is uh, agitated and worried that he could have really hurt that lad. He has a name, Ryan. And yeah, Ryan doesn't know it. And it's Gav. Daisy wants to know what, he was, what was going through Ryan's head, which seems to be pretty obvious, I think. She thinks that Ryan is suffering from PTSD and is upset that Ryan hasn't been talking to her about how he feels. She nips his head until he snaps at her and admits that he's been injecting himself up the arsehole with steroids. He explains how he tried to replace his trauma with muscle mass. He looked at it like it was armour. Daisy gets it but says that he's just hurting himself and this isn't him but he doesn't know who he is anymore Daisy says that she owes him so much but the man that she saw yesterday was the best version of him and she asks him to let her know when that guy is back Daisy meets up with Daniel and tells him about Ryan's steroids which Daniel already knew about Right. she's shocked that he didn't tell her he says he was keeping a confidence just like what she did with his wanking online she says it's completely different it isn't it's not not at all. It's 100% the same. It really is exactly the same. It is. Back at the flat, Ryan goes to his send pics page, not his, not only fans page, and gives a signing off speech. He was looking to protect himself, but ended up just hurting himself. His truth has become a lie. He switches off the filter and shows off his scars, introduces himself as Ryan. 
the chat goes wild with people who read the Weather Gazette article the other week and knew right. all of this already. Right. And oh my God, we finally get to see the filter. And it's so stupid. It's awful. It's the worst. It's a challenging wank. Right. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's 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 kind of like um It's a Roman helmet. That's what Arthur looked no, like. No, it's like a it's like um it's like Wesley and um the Princess Bride. It's like it's like a bandana over his eyes with like some of it hanging down over on the side. No, it looked metal to me. It was cloth. He, looked he looked metal. like he looked like the Dread Pirate Stevens. He goes on to explain about the acid attack and how connecting with so many strangers meant that he didn't have to deal with a damaged version of himself. But there aren't enough likes in the world to make you like yourself. Paraphrasing Confucius there. <laughs> he admits to not being okay. <coughs> it's time to be Ryan again. And it's okay to not be okay. Daniel was watching this in the cafe with Nina and Roy looking over his shoulder, which I'm so glad he wasn't wanking when he was doing it. That could have turned south pretty quick. Very it? quickly. Daisy comes in, still in the mood with Daniel, until he tells her about Ryan's live stream and, suggest, and suggests that she watches it. In the community garden, Daisy watches Ryan's video. Alone and, then, and with headphones on. And then she goes to see him, hugs him, winches him, then fucks him. Yep, in that order. Afterwards, Daisy's in a rush to get out. Ryan would like to talk about the hole they've just had together and tells her that he loves her. <laughs> she shouldn't have let that happen, she says, just as there's a knock at the door. It's fucking Daniel. Ryan tells Daisy to hide. Which is dumb. The, she should have just... Except, of course, for the fact that her shirt's on inside out, which we'll find out in a few minutes. But I think it would be perfectly reasonable to Daniel that Daisy would watch that and then go speak to Ryan. Mm. So she should just stay out there and not be suspicious. Right. He lets Daniel in and quickly manoeuvres him out to the pub, which allows Daisy to sneak out the toilet. And it's all the more confusing that she doesn't then leave because instead she hangs about, waits for someone to come home, someone that she assumes is going to be Ryan, but is in fact racist Kelly, who is very suspicious of Daisy being in her flat and the sexy aroma in the air. And her shirt and being inside Kelly out. And racist points out that her top is inside out. Although it's kind of hard to tell. Daisy meets Ryan and Daniel at the bistro. Daniel nips off for a shite, which allows Ryan and Daisy to talk about what happened and how racist Kelly caught her. Ryan doesn't think she'll say anything. Daisy can't process this, and what they did was wrong, and she feels guilty. They need to forget all about it. Ryan doesn't think he can. Find a way, says Daisy, and Ryan storms out. On Wednesday, racist Kelly and Ryan are having brekkie. She and that's kind of nice. She points out that Daisy's top was on inside out yesterday and it's obvious that they got their hole. He casually denies it, while she seems to have a troubling text from someone and rushes off to work. Ryan drops in at Carla's. She saw his live stream yesterday and again, I'm so thankful it wasn't the OnlyFans, and is proud of him. The problem is, Ryan isn't making much money since he quit the wanking, so Carla uh, reads between the lines and invites him to come back to stay with her, which she is more than happy to accept. Even though she's fucking off to Spain. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then the roles, shown this teaching racist Kelly how to do the Macarena when Daisy and Daniel come in. Racist Kelly's very interested to see who Daisy is with, and when she goes to serve them, she notices that Daisy's wearing an engagement ring. Oh, you're engaged, says racist Kelly. That's nice. Which is a totally normal thing for her to say. Right. <laughs> Daniel doesn't notice and starts talking about a job trial that Daisy has coming up. Ryan goes to the bistro to speak with Leanne about getting his job back. She makes sure that he's in the right headspace and won't accidentally start masturbating in the kitchen. And when he confirms <laughs> that he is, 
She tells him he can start right away by showing Daisy the ropes who's starting a trial run today. Privately, he apologises to Daisy and promises to keep his distance, but she doesn't think it'll work and says that she'll quit. It's no biggie. But he says, look, I'll quit. And But instead, he asks for different shifts as it'll be easier for the both of them what with what they've been going through. And Leanne doesn't ask any questions and just agrees to it. Right. Outside Nina's role, outside Nina's roles, Ryan breaks the news to racist Kelly that he can't afford the rent anymore, so he'll be moving back in with his auntie Carla. Racist Kelly is distraught about this. She can't afford the rent on her own, and Ryan promises to ask around for someone to take the room. Later, Daniel is back in Nina's roles, and racist Kelly quizzes him about his job, and they share some light banter about To Kill a Mockingbird. Which was interesting. The Mark Arena and Harper Lee, quite a matchup, says Daniel, and then someone punches him in the face. <laughs> racist Kelly steps away to take a call from someone obviously hassling her, presumably for money. And then she gets home, again on the phone to her mysterious agitator, who seems to offer her a non-traditional method of repayment. She promises to get the money and won't tell anyone, whatever that means. Then Ryan comes in, all packed and ready to go. So racist Kelly decides to blackmail him. Either he pays her a grand or she'll grass him and Daisy up to Daniel. Are you threatening me, says Ryan. Yes, says racist Kelly. Just so we're clear, I am threatening you. Yay. Ryan explains that he's broke. She thinks Daisy will cough up and refuses to tell him why she's doing this. Just do it or Daniel finds out. So Daniel finds out then. Right. Well... Daisy doesn't want to lose Daniel because apparently she loves him. Apparently so. Yes. Ryan finds Daisy in the bistro and explains that racist Kelly, predictably, isn't cool about all this after all and tells her about the blackmail. She doesn't think Painter is going to work correctly and suspects racist Kelly's bluffing. As Ryan contemplates having a quick wank online to pay for all this, Daisy balks at the idea. She says she has 400 quid, Ryan has 300 so they just need to get their mitts on the rest. Back home, Daisy's looking up payday loans when Daniel comes in and sees what she's doing, and as he's a man, he demands to know about her finances and has concerns about her fiscal intelligence. She makes up a story about wanting some retail therapy, so Daniel offers to take care of that for her and asks how much she needs. 300 quid, she says. Daniel was thinking more like a tenner. She <laughs> says she wants the handbags and the glad rags that her poor old granddad had to sweat to buy her. Daniel now feels obliged to get his wallet out. Hmm. What would happen if I said, I need $300 to go shopping? I would say good luck to you. <laughs> if you've got 300 bucks, have at it. Yeah, I'd say, my darling, you make so much more money than I do. <laughs> Give me $300 to buy a purse. I don't have a single purse that's worth $300. I've got some expensive ones. I've got that lovely kate spade tote that you bought me for my christmas last year but yeah i would never ask you for 300 dollars mm. for a dress and a purse daisy goes to ryan's flat and gives him daniel's money not ignoring the shameful irony that daniel is paying to keep daisy's infidelity secret make this be an end to it she tells ryan he says he doesn't regret the shag she says that she does right racist kelly thanks ryan for the money later but doesn't give him a receipt that about does it for Ryan and he goes to leave but racist Kelly threatens him again if he doesn't stay at the flat she'll tell Daniel now make me a cup of tea and a vest of beef risotto or I'll tell Daniel she says <laughs> why I oughta says Ryan or the beef Daisy has gone and all he's already moved all of his stuff out right so it's like kind of awkward 
At the bistro, Daniel has gone along to watch Daisy working and ask her what she bought with the money. She says she's keeping it for a special occasion. Ryan comes in to explain how the inevitable problem has arisen. Racist Kelly won't let him move out. Well, just move, she says. Right. Ryan's suggestion is to keep her sweet, take all the hours he can afford to keep on paying her off. This is a fantastic plan that will definitely, definitely work. And that's how we end this week's episodes. You know, it's so frustrating because they keep they keep seeming to try to humanize racist Kelly. Yeah. And yet every every attempt to humanize her by making her buddies with Ryan and then talking to kill a mockingbird with Daniel is just messed up by this whole blackmail thing. And also offering to pay for something with sex with a guy on the phone, which mm. means it's not her dad. No. Which was my initial. Well, let's hope not. Yeah, that would be, that would be terrible. But, you know, this, and is, this is our, this has been, this has been our problem with this character is that they don't seem to know how to humanize her. And God bless her. I read, I read an interview with the actor this week and she said is that she really cares for Ryan and sees him kind of as a big brother. So what she's doing is to protect him from Daisy. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what's happening at all. <laughs> that's not what's happening here. She's being terrible again to people who have been kind to her. This keeps happening to her. Yeah. Or not to her. She keeps happening to other people. She's going to run out of people who are even slightly sympathetic towards her. She gets herself in a, in a spot of bother. Let's imagine that it's more than a spot of bother. But right. She gets herself into some bother. She needs to get out of it. And the way that she gets out of it is by doing something appalling. Right. To people who are kind to her. Yeah. I mean, from Ryan's point of view, I mean, we know that he's not the brightest, but this was always going to go this way. She's threatening to tell somebody something unless you give me money. Right. Well, if I give you money, you can still tell them. There's nothing right. to stop you doing that no. or to ask for more money or right. now to demand that... You stay with me. Or anything. Right. I need a chippy tea or a tell Daniel. Right. I need you to give my feet a rub or I'm going to tell Daniel. Right. There's nothing to stop any of those things happening. So Correct. the only thing to do once that... Uh, demand has been made for the first time is tell daniel i know you don't want to but you're going to have to right and say look it was just a stupid moment we both regret it even though ryan really doesn't and it just it's so frustrating because there's a perfectly good alia just sitting there going to waste when they were so good together going to waste just filling in for yasmin when she goes on holiday that's all she's doing yeah alia now that they've blown her up and stabbed her, she's not getting any storylines. Nope. <laughs> she's not getting a new relationship because there are no more straight men on the street who are single. The only man on the street who is single is Todd. <laughs> and there aren't any more gay men on the street either. Unless he hooks up with Sean, which is never happening. So, I He's guess... He's also single. Yeah, I was about to say, wait, Sean is technically single as well. But... And they aren't bringing any more men on the street. They're bringing more women on the street. <sighs> I mean, bringing women back, but not men. 
It's so sad. So no, you. Oh wait, no, no. Michael's single. Michael's single. Can we go back and let's talk about Grace's Kelly other than just mentioning single men, single men, which doesn't useful to anybody well it might be useful to alia eventually i don't know i yeah i just it's it's such a frustrating character because i did kind of like her and ryan being buddies well we thought that could have gone a horrible way because remember she insisted that she's 20 right she isn't 20 she isn't 20 she said in the interview she's 17 so she said that she's 20 we had a horrible idea that she was going to have a relationship with Ryan and then this was going to come out about her age and, and stuff so I'm glad that right. that hasn't happened and that they were going to go, were they, they were going to do some OnlyFans together but this this blackmail thing is uh, it's just dull and boring and, and unkind and and very unkind for what Ryan has like you said has done uh, the whole point of this thing though was it's a cheap flat that she's she's got her two jobs now in the call center and at Roy's. Right. And Roy has been willing to help her out. And if she just told Ryan what the problem is, then right. Ryan could maybe have helped out in, right. in some way. Or at least been sympathetic to her desperation. So the blackmail is not necessary, perhaps. No. It certainly shouldn't be the first thing that you jump to. It's also kind of ridiculous, though. The fact that it's a cheap flat... And Ryan on his shifts at the bistro can't afford to live there anymore with another person who has two jobs. Right. You know. I'm sure when you said how much it cost, the whole point of this was it was It was cheap. It, it was, was cheap. cheap enough for her to afford by herself. Yep. So, you know, the whole all of a sudden, oh, Carla, I need to move back in with you. Because this is that's really the thing that spurred Racist Kelly. I don't think Racist Kelly was going to say or do anything until he said that he had to move out. Mm -hmm. You know, because if he's still helping to pay the rent and stuff and the electricity and all that stuff, then maybe she would have been able to pay off this person on her own for whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, it's odd manufactured drama. We've got the. We've got the blackmail thing hanging over it and also the what what does she owe to who and why kind of question marks, but Do you have do you have any any ideas? I don't know, it seems to be something sexual was I assume was getting demanded or, or suggested to her. But what and who? I mean, is it one of the racist gang? I don't know. Maybe she needs an abortion. Is she pregnant? I don't know, maybe. Maybe that's what the text was for. Maybe she got a the, text alert. The fetus is texting her? <laughs> that would be hilarious. I'm not sure it would be. <laughs> I don't know. It's tough to it's tough to it's care tough too much to when the when the character is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And the character is horrible. And uh, you know, they keep trying to do things to her. To humanize her, but they only just turn out to make her more horrible. Because we see people being kind to her. We haven't seen the last horrible. of Ryan and Daisy together, I don't think. Yes. And um, let's not forget, and we had this in Corey News a few weeks ago, that one Bethany is moving back onto the street. 
yep. soon. And I'm sure that's going to cause issues. Put the cat amongst the pigeons, as right. it were. Yes, because let's not forget. Another thing for us to let's not forget. So many things for us to <laughs> let's not forget this week. Before the cardigan. And, and technically before Sinead was dead. There was Bethany. <laughs> filling in the blanks for Daniel, Bethany as it with, were. With the Bethany stare. Right. Yes. Poor Is Craig. Anybody at home there? No. Okay, Bethany. Bye then. Bethany's exit was the best thing about Bethany. It was really good because it was empowering. Mm -hmm. She was going off to be a journalist, which is something that Daniel wanted to be and couldn't do it. And then she came back. And well, and yeah, now she's coming back to be to be stuck in triangles. (sighs) So this is just going to get weirder and uglier. Yeah. So there's Daniel. There's Ryan. There's Daisy. There's Bethany. There's racist Kelly. This is a trapezoid. It's a love trapezoid. It's a pentagram, I think, isn't it? That would be worse. Watching uh, James A. Caster reminds me that, that every triangle is a love triangle if you love triangles. I guess so. <laughs> Who loves triangles? Who doesn't love triangles? It's all right. It's not my favorite shape. Structural engineers love triangles. Well, it's a very of strong they shape. Do. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> that was the week that was Coronation Street. Helen, tell me what was your moment of the week? Oh, jeez. I feel like we should give it to Tim, but I'm so mad about Tim. Nah, it's not Tim. Uh, I If I'm honest, I think that conversation between Michael and Ed was kind of my moment of the week. It's either that or it's David and Shona. <laughs> I did love oh, that don't, scene don't, don't start worrying about shaking the table now That we're two hours into this <laughs> It's just to show people That I really am abused by you <laughs> well, Thank goodness for that <laughs> um, I mean I think the Michael scene Was honestly the best Michael That we've seen Ever Maybe ever Maybe ever Although the scene when The bit when he realised that was it Tiana? Yeah, wasn't his. Not only wasn't his, but wasn't but wasn't uh, Gracie's either. No, that was a fucking scene. And that a was half. a fucking scene and a half. But this, I thought, was and also was, when he found out that Ronnie might be his dad. Unless why so. do they keep? Why do they keep throwing these things at poor Michael? But yeah, I think it, I I honestly think this is the best Ed and Michael are going to be for the foreseeable future. So yeah, Ed and Michael on the couch. Moment of the week. You're a moment of the week. You know, I kind of... I kind of want to give it to Daniel and racist Kelly about To Kill a Mockingbird, but I actually kind of love that scene. That was a good scene. It was a great scene. Is it... Is Notice, it, though, that Daniel couldn't just let her quote from it. He had to join in. Right. Yeah, of course he did. What a fucking prick. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and yet... And once again, here's a scene that should have been really nice and humanizing for racist Kelly, but then in the very next scene she's in, she's mm-hmm. blackmailing poor Ryan. Well, that whole conversation was just to find out more about Daniel. Right, but we got to learn a little bit more about her as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, she knows Harper Lee. I mean, not personally, but you know, because no. um, Harper Lee's dead now. Um, 
as if that would be the only reason. Is it Daniel explaining to Ryan that that he can't he can't leave that kid alone? And then Ryan pointing out the security guard right behind him. Yeah, that whole thing was just really dull and unnecessarily complicated. Yes. That is our boring moment of the week. Well, uh, apologies to David and Shota because there was a that was yeah. also a great scene. So what's your score out of ten this week then? We were both, I think, we less nine last week or nine and yes, a half last week. It is not a nine this week. No. Ah, <sighs> five. Yeah, I think I'm six and a half. I thought it was all right. Yeah, I, I thought it was mid. I don't as the was, kids I say. don't think it was poor, but I, I normally expect better from the week after Super Soap Week. Yeah. And there was just so many bits of it that were just. Ugh. I'm still not over the fact, obviously, that Tim's still alive. Right, yes. That, that, that's swaying quite a bit of it. Tim being alive brought the score down. Yeah. Racist Kelly continuing to not be allowed to be humanized. Or develop her character. Down. Let's right. develop that character, yeah. shall we? No. Make her more well-rounded. You know? And I mean, there are characters who are just basically cardboard cutouts at the moment like Kirk and Mary to an extent. Remember when they used to give storylines to Mary? Well, that's not anything new. No. But at least those are kind and funny characters. Well, that about wraps it up then. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Ellen, Pickles, DT, Trisha and Wendy. If you've ever had a third-person flashback, write in to tell us about it. We are the talk of the street gmail.com and we're at Quarry Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Please. Check out the clicky clicky section of boggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and other review on iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. <sighs> and be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Yes, please. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Our talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.